So the message this week, what has he done for me lately? So this is the last message in this particular series. And um, in this series, we've learned to recognize God's impact in our life as we find hope and where the light gets in. And recognizing his God word as being a collection of more than cliches, but being a collection of promises and instructions. And recognizing the tools that Jesus used to teach the will of his Father. And these are tools that are still effective today as we share the good news of grace. And this morning, as we conclude the series, we're going to talk about what happened after the resurrection. First, Jesus came and we celebrated Christmas. And Jesus lost his life and was raised from the dead. And we celebrate the Holy Week of Easter. And for so many well-intentioned people who consider themselves Christian, they, that's all there is. We've got Christmas and our Easter, and yes, that joy is extended all year long, but there's so much more. What a disservice, not just to God or to the church, but to themselves, if they aren't recognizing everything else. If you believe that there is nothing more to the gift of God through Jesus Christ, then you are denying yourself the real hope that brings peace, comfort, and aid to your salvation. And these are Jesus' own words from John 14, 1 through 3, and a couple of verses later. And again, I want to remind you, we are now putting a lot of the verses that I reference on the back of your announcements. Not all of those are in here, and not all these are in there, but certainly if you want to do a, a study or kind of follow up on your own, that's a, that's a resource for you. But Jesus' own words from John 14 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I, have come, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. Now that's a promise. Very truly, I tell you, he says, whoever believes in me will do the work I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. That's God's words through Jesus Christ promising about what comes next. But let's start with a few important but very simple questions, and that is, what happened next after the resurrection? And then where is Jesus now? From Luke 24, 50, it says, when, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And he had already reappeared to them. And he lifted, he had been talking to him, lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and he says, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And almost every reference that I found post-resurrection said the same thing. Listen to these accounts made by various disciples and apostles from Acts 2.32. God raised this Jesus to life, that we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to the Lord, Sit at my right hand, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Acts seven fifty five. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And what else did he see? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And just one more in case you're not keeping up. Hebrews 12.2, fixing your, our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was scorn, scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I quickly found 11 scriptures in the New Testament that specifically say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and I'm sure there are more. 
And I think that means there's some importance to that statement that he's seated there and where he is and what that means. You see, the right hand represents divinity. It's the forceful hand, the hand of growth and strength. The right hand is laid on a person and it conveys authority and blessings and power and strength. The right hand symbolizes the hand of blessing and mercy, while the left hand is the hand the king uses and represents justice. The right hand of God, and the Latin word for this is dextera domini, it means right hand of the Lord or God's right hand. And it's used to identify a special place of honor. An example of this can be found way back in Genesis, first book of the Bible, 48, where Jacob blessed the child who would receive a greater blessing with his right hand. The right hand of God likewise relates this concept of someone being right next to God, acknowledging both the authority and the closeness to him. And perhaps this is the origin of that expression, right-hand man, which we often use to describe a person as indispensable, an indispensable helper or a main assistant, a chief assistant. And I don't mean that with any derogatory tone. I mean, how do we get through our lives with a good assistant, right? What an honor to be God's indispensable helper or chief assistant. Yeah, I don't, did you? <laughs> what's, we can argue about who's assisting who. But what's unique and particularly meaningful is to us is how Jesus helps us. This leads us to the answer of the second question. What is Jesus doing now? Or as I title this message, what has he done for me lately? Right? We know what he did at Christmas. We know what he did at Easter. And this was thousands of years ago. What's he doing for me now? And certainly I don't mean that with any respect or angst-ridden tone, but how many people focus on the message of Christmas and the message of Easter and think that's all there is? Sure, a powerful life that provided a direct connection between us and God, but it also means for a way to be with God in heaven for an eternity. And like we studied last Easter, Jesus' last word was tetelestai. Do you remember that? Tetelestai, which translates to it is finished or it is completed. We know that translation. But as we learn, as we dove a little deeper in the words spoken in Aramaic, it's actually what's called a perfect verb, which means that it doesn't mean it is finished, period. Rather, it means it's continually finished, it's more than once and done. Like, I did it, done, out of here. It means once and for all, over and over and over, daily, continually, incessantly, right? Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 says it this way. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. Day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which never take away sins. Okay? Our best efforts, day after day, never takes away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since the time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that's us. Does anyone need this kind of refreshment of grace? once and for all, over and over, forever, daily. I mean, the Apostle Paul, who we study regularly, he did. In his letter to Timothy, he wrote these words from 1 Timothy. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, as if you need to, you know, like, listen to this. This is serious. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And you have to remember, Tim's a young, young man, so maybe you have to say, listen to Tim. He says, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. And he says, of whom I am the worst. Right? The Apostle Paul knew that he needed Jesus' sacrifice and redemption day after day after day. And this man who we, we attribute so many good things, Paul, was a sinner himself, just like us. So the question of that is, does anybody need this kind of refreshment of grace? I do. I do. 
Still today, Christ is actively working to shape your character and empower you with obedience through your obedience. Because that is what it takes for you to continue your spiritual growth, which leads to your salvation. And it started by sending the Holy Spirit, as John 16, 7 through 15. Jesus' word says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Today, Jesus is ruling for you. Because Jesus is God, he is sovereign, right? Which means he knows everything, and controls everything. He's a part of this trinity that is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even before leaving earth, he told the disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And that means he's stronger than anything that comes our way. And he doesn't allow anything to happen to us that he doesn't know about, Right? Ephesians 1 through 15, these are, again, Paul's words. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your Lord, your love for all God's people, this is Paul writing this letter, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his gloriousness, inheritance in his holy people, it is incomparably great power for us who believe. Isn't that amazing? What a blessing, what a well wish. Saying that same Holy Spirit that Jesus sent, I'm wishing that for you. Hebrews 8, 1 through 2. Now the main point of what we were saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Jesus continues to rule today. Another thing, today Jesus is caring for you. We know this. We believe this. So I pray. Jesus tells us that he cares even for the smallest sparrows and the lilies in the field. So imagine how much more he cares for you. Even from heaven, Jesus knows what we need and supplies those things. And as Apostle Paul said, but in my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in his glory. In fact, Jesus promises that he can do above and beyond anything we could ask for or even think of. Now, that's pretty amazing. Paul's letter to Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we will ask or imagine. There it is. Jesus can do all these things. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Today, Jesus is interceding for you. And what that means, he's the go-between. Because Jesus knows our needs. We just talked about that. He knows our desires. He also knows our temptations. He knows the things we struggle with. Okay, The little sins, the, the bad habits, the, the places our mind goes that it shouldn't. You know, The emotions we sometimes feel. He goes between us and God, and he carries our prayers to the Father. Hebrews 4.15 explains this well. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. I love that. That's the greatest example of him coming as a person, as a man. He went through these same things and he did it. He pulled it off. He got it right. So the letter in Hebrew says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, right? 
We don't cower in shame as we go to God in prayer. We confidently come so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need because Jesus has paved that way. Later in Hebrews, it says this, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely, right? Forever and ever. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Good thing because my, my mess ups today, I'm going to have more tomorrow. Probably the same ones. Hebrews 9, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, but was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Sometimes you say, you just had to be there, right? Jesus can say that. I, I was there. I was on earth. I know what that's like. And he says, sometimes you just have to say, I know that person. I know that's not what they really think or feel or want to behave. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I know that person. He goes, I know Tyler. He and I talk regularly. And man, he messes up. But I know his heart. And it's different. It's better than that. The only person that can do a better job of pleading my case is him. Right? Because he doesn't have the shame and guilt that we struggle with. That we shouldn't, but we do. Okay? When Jesus died on the cross, he became the way that we as sinners could approach a holy God. That is why we pray in his name. You know, today Jesus is still advocating for you. Along that same lines, when we sin and ask forgiveness, Jesus reminds the Father of his work on the cross. I love that. Yeah, but he, Tyler messed up again. Yeah, but remember my dad for that guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Probably a little more formal than that. But that's the message. John 1, or 1 John 2. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So even when Satan tries to accuse you of doing something wrong, Jesus defends you, and the Father forgives you when we ask him to. That's Jesus' one requirement. He says, believe and ask. Believe and ask. They really go together. It's not two requirements. Just believe and ask. I got the rest from here. That's all the evidence I need. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all right unrighteousness. Do you remember that message I delivered? It was called If Then. The if is always on our side and then is always on God's side. If we do this, if we make the choice to ask for forgiveness, to confess, to, to give our lives to Christ, then, which is an absolute... God on his side will keep this promise. If we confess, he then is faithful and just and will forgive us. Another one, and I love this. Today, Jesus, what's he done for me later? Today, Jesus is still helping you. Jesus helps us, more, uh, helps us be more righteous by guiding our thoughts to love and God and be patient with others. Okay, When we let him, when we let the light in, as I said a couple weeks ago, that opens an opportunity for us to view things through our spiritual eyes. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us live holy lives. That, that voice within us that says, yeah, you're doing it right, or now's a good time to pray, or hey, think about that person right now because they're in need, or hey, I know you're struggling to pray, but let me help you get those words out. That's the Holy Spirit within you. And uh, John 14, 26 says this way, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' word, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Again, a promise. Friends, can you see that Jesus is still at hard work today? I mean, for some of us, he has to work a little harder. Every day, daily on our behalf, because that is what we need. He lives to intercede for those who believe in him, bring requests on your behalf, and brings your prayers before the Father. He is your advocate when you sin. He's positioned perfectly between you and God. Christ declares your righteousness standing because of a sacrifice and your faith in him, and he's right at God's right hand saying, trust me, I know this person. Trust me, I have, I have atoned for their sin. And what's more, Christ is preparing a place for you in heaven. He's also arranging all the events necessary for his return. Today, this very day, this very day, as well as tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, Jesus is busy and will continue to be busy in heaven, in heaven carrying out the Father's will. And we, as his followers, should be doing the same thing here on earth. He saved us for the purpose of reflecting his life in our work. Through our attitudes, our words, our behavior, we are his body, his eyes, his ears, his voice, his feet, his hands. Not only pointing us in the right way, but helping others find the right way. So does this mean Christ abandoned this world or left you on your own accord? Not at all. Not at all. He left you here in his place and trusting you to carry on his work in the power of his spirit and in his name. The teaching tool that Jesus used, the ones we studied last week, such as praying and sharing the good news and serving others and living a life of example, little quiet acts of kindness and service, they are literally saving the people of this world. Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do as I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. God has empowered Jesus to empower us to make a difference in this world. And we've talked about that for the last four Sundays. So this week, let's challenge ourselves, okay? Not just this week, but for the comings. Let's challenge ourselves to be Jesus' right-hand man, his indispensable, untrusted helper in this world. Let's pray. Father God, you sent your son as a gift to live with us, to live among us, to teach us, to show us by example and to give us your words and your wisdom. But God, he was taken away from us, a sacrifice for our sins. But even better than that, he was raised into heavens, again, for our sins. Father God, let us not just focus on these two wonderful, miraculous events, but on everything it means. And more importantly, what is going on now? What has happened every day for the last 2,000 years and will go on for the unknown future. That he is up there daily working for every single person in this world. Every single one of us who you know needs him and needs you. God, this week my prayer is that we accept this challenge. Let us become Jesus' indispensable helper in this world. And Lord, sometimes we're in a position where how can we help others when we ourselves are struggling? So let us be open to receiving that help we receive from others or from you through the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for this. I thank you as always for this church, not only this building, but this congregation, this community. 
a, a group of people who love and believe in you and are just trying to get through the struggles of this world. We thank you for the peace and confidence and encouragement we get from one another as a reminder of, of your existence in our life. As always, I pray for the empty places in the pews. They serve as the reminder that there is room and a need for a relationship with you. I lift this service up to you. May all we do be honoring and blessing to you. Amen.